we're in here instead of out there. Yeah. The world is just a crazy place. People are just nutty. Can I talk just with you? Just talk with you. I mean, don't, don't, don't uh, cast me out because I'm just not happy with the crazy things that are happening. Now, when we first started traveling around the world, uh, Pastor Charles and I just could not wait to get home. And we just, we used to say, we were, we're going to kiss the ground. And I remember one time landing in Chicago, and I thought, I can't kiss this ground yet. <laughs> you know, but I'd like to get to Texas. You know, we, we just had just great times and always felt safe at home. But we don't feel safe at home anymore, do we? And I, I want to maybe address that, but I don't want to address it in a political sense. I want to address it. Uh, from a kingdom perspective, and when we say a kingdom perspective, what we mean is that God has solutions in himself that the world does not see. Uh, if they don't see them, they can't know them. If they cannot know them, they cannot do them. And so you and I are really God's answer to all that's going on. We know that Jesus himself is the answer, but because we are in him, uh, and we are affiliated, associated, and uh, a part of him. Now God uses us as that in the earth. Uh, Jesus stated it like this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That, that's big stuff. And I want us all to, to reconcile all of the craziness by saying that, that whatever God requires of me, I will do. And when you and I do our part, that's all that God asks of us. So I want us to do that. Yesterday in El Paso, El Paso, Texas, one of the safest cities in the country, 20 people were brutally murdered, and 26 were viciously wounded by a hateful young man. We went to bed thinking of that horrible tragedy, and praying for the victims, and while we slept, only 14 hours later, another man filled with evil rampage became another murderous and hateful-filled person and killed nine people, viciously wounded 16 others in Dayton, Ohio just 14 hours apart. I don't want us to be like some, some Christians, some believers, who seem to just ignore the, the things and go, well, we just need to praise Jesus. Yeah, we do need to praise Jesus, but not just praise Jesus. We need to praise Jesus with the intent of being his answer in the world and not being a part of the craziness, the, the bickering, uh, the odd the, people being against each other. Uh, you know, I love people with whom I disagree. And my disagreement with them does not ever hamper my love for them because I can separate what they think politically uh, from who they are. I mean, God has to bring you to that place. And so I, I think that we have a responsibility we, we can see how the, the enemy is attacking 
uh, all, I think he, he's really attacking God's plan, God's program. He's attacking God's purpose uh, with all of this evil, trying to prolong his inevitable doom. It, it's, this is really about Satan. And uh, you have to understand that. It's, these other things are just means that he uses to get over his uh, wicked agenda. And so we find that this, this kind of violence is escalating. It's, it's, it's escalating in that in the last few years, we've had five of the most vicious attacks on humanity five in our nation. We're living in dangerous and harsh times. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, Paul tells us, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So I think we can safely say that we're living in the last days. Perilous times, that means harsh times. Difficult times, times when you, you and I will ask, what do we do, God? And we want to wait on his answer rather than answer it with more violence. I grew up in, in the rural area in East Texas, out in the country. And uh, we were prepared for a lot of things if they, ha if they ha came down. But what our parents did was to encircle us with prayer all the time. Amen. And so things that happened to neighbors didn't always happen to us. Amen. When the violent storms, natural storms, came into our area and were breaking trees in two, and destroying things, houses and so forth, we just lost a few shingles here and there. And this is what God is saying to us. He tells us that in the last of these perilous times, difficult times, harsh times, would come. He said, this is how you will know it, by the violence that we see. But also, for men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of themselves. I don't watch TV much anymore. I used to. I can't stand what's on it. The misuse of it. I see men are lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. They love money more than God. They talk about even Christians. I'm talking about Christians. Oh, I'm not, I'm not talking about the world. I didn't tell you that. I'm talking about Christians. They're more concerned about the economy, that, uh, the, the, this natural economy, than the economy of the spirit, which we've inherited. We live not in the economy of the flesh, but the economy of the spirit. God has given us the Spirit. We have the Spirit. Men before Christ died did not have the Spirit like we have. This is amazing. We live in the economy of the Spirit. So don't bring the economy of the flesh in and try to bring it to bear upon the economy of the Spirit. It doesn't work. The economy of the Spirit is to be brought to bear on the, the things of the flesh and of the world. That's what God wants us to know as believers. And if I get a little passionate, I'm not angry with you because I love you but they will be proud blasphemers disobedient to parents wow unthankful unholy 
unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. I mean, most of us, my uncle, I had an uncle who used to like to go hunt, hunting, and, and uh, he would never shoot a rabbit that was just sitting still. He always would throw something at him and let him run. He said, if he can get away from my, 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 my gun, he said, he, he can go free. He'd throw something at him and when he would run. Of course, the rabbit wasn't going to go free. <laughs> but these men, brutal men, let's don't defend them. They, they are shooting people like sitting ducks in a lake. They won't even allow you to run. So let's, 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 let's look at this. And they are despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is what the, the, the apostle says, having a form of godliness but denying his power and for such people turn away. This is what the world looks like, and I'm talking to you that you won't be a part of this. In Romans 8.31, this is where my message starts, actually. I, I just thought that it would not be proper, would not be right to, to preach this morning and not mention the tragedy. I don't want to do that ever. But I don't want you to ever think that I'm doing it because I've got a dog in the political hunt. I don't. I'm not there. In Romans 8.31, Paul says, asks a question. Because in verses 28 through 30, he had made a statement. And so let me read the statement in, in verses 8, 28 and through 30, so you'll know what the question's about. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn, the firstborn among many brethren. So God has predestined you to be shaped into the image of Christ. That's his goal. And that's what he's going to do to every Blood-bought person. Amen. That's, that gives me confidence of something, doesn't it? Now notice what he says. Moreover, or much more, or more than that, whom he predestined, these he also called. And so God sent a call out to you. And that's why you're here today. That's why you're in Christ today. He called, look, look at the progression, whom he called, these he also justified. So what God has done for you, he has declared, made a declaration, made a judicial decision 
that you are justified, that you meet his approval, that you meet the standard of God's holiness, his righteousness. He has declared you not guilty because you place faith in the Son of God. This is what it says. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So that means that, that as far as God is concerned, you have finished. As far as you are concerned, you are a work in progress. So it seems to me that the wisdom of God says, I'm going to, I have finished the work in regards to you, but I'm going to let you see what the process looks like. Or at, one, at some juncture, we'll see what it looked like. We're looking at it in real time, but it's really finished. If we want to know what it all looks like, we have to set our minds on heavenly things, not earthly things. We have to see that there's a man, a human being, who had a, has a mother, a mother who was born of a woman, born under the law. We have to look at a man who bled and died, who is now raised and seated on the throne of God. That's what it looks like. That's what you and I look like. That's big stuff for me. So Paul is saying here in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? So what, now what, the, the things that I just read, what shall we say to that? Now I know how it, life is when difficult things, things happen. We go, oh God, what are you going to do now? You know? He said, what are you going to say? I mean, God has, has predestined you. He has called you. He has justified you. He has glorified you. But this past tense has glorified you in the Son. We will experience it soon. So he asks, what then shall we say to these things? Now he's telling you something. He's going to make a statement. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So rather than it being a question for me, I'm going to say, God is for me. Who can be against me? You ever see athletes where they are? Athletes are really weird sometimes. Funny, they're rich, but they are weird. They probably think I'm weird because I'm not rich. But, you know, sometimes when they, when they do stuff, they go, yeah, yeah, you know, I can't really do it. Yeah, and they touch each other, yeah. You know, it's just like, God is for us. Therefore, who can be against us? This is what Paul is saying. If God is for us, who can be against us? And since God is for us, I ask, shouldn't we be for God? Should not every waking moment of our day be evident that we are sold out to, to him? That's what I'm asking myself about this. This is amazing to me. I mean, I'm, I'm like that old preacher now. Really. Now listen, Paul goes on to, to describe some things. He says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up on the cross for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's showing us something here. He says, 
Now, he delivered him up for us all to death, gave him over to death, and how shall he not freely give us all things? What he's saying is when you and I were treasonous, we were enemies of God, we were hateful and despisers of good, God looked at us and, and gave his son to die for us when we were in that state. Now that we belong to him, he says, why shouldn't he freely give us all things? So I think any rational person, any person who's gone through the metamorphosis of being born again, I think would say, Yes, God will give us all things. And he says, graciously give you all things, freely. With great grace, he gives you all things. With a generous heart, he gives us all things. But sometimes when we, we in a moment, when we lack something, sometimes we almost become, if not altogether, accusers of God. I thought you loved me, you know. I hope we're past that. And notice what he says. And, and so he goes on. Let me just read this, and I'll try to explain it later. Who shall bring a, a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your, your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Amen. So, so Paul asked the question, what then shall we say to these things? And, and the things happen to be, we know that all things work for good to those who love God. Amen. To those who are the called. God called us with a purpose, according to his purpose, and so forth. And so Paul is telling us, he says, what, what should your response be? So you and I should be settled in faith, settled in faith. You know, by this time, we should not have a faith problem. I mean, really, think about it. All that God has done for us, all that he has taken us through, we shouldn't have a faith problem. Now, sometimes I take a big hit and I go, oh, that hurt God. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you're a lot better than me, but I would go, God, that hurt, and I don't like it. And sometimes I will say, I don't want that anymore. And by the time it comes out of my mouth, I say, but I'll be all right. I didn't used to be like that. It took days and weeks and maybe months. But I go, I'll be all right almost as soon as it comes out of my mouth. Because I, I think about my past. You know, when, when David was a boy and he was called to go uh, to the battle line and take some food for, for Saul and for his brothers, his older brothers, when David went out there and saw the condition of things, the Bible says that he, he said, I'll go fight him. And he didn't just one day wake up and say, I will go fight the giant, because the giant was the heavyweight champion of that region. Nobody had beaten him since he was a boy, and David is a boy. And the giant is calling for a man to come, and David, being a boy, said, I'll go fight him. You know, I like to say that 
Goliath asked for a man, but God sent a boy. It shows you God's view of things in the world. And it shows you uh, who you and I are in God. And so as the story, as the story goes, David uh, went up against this, this man, uh, this giant Goliath, because he had a very good memory. He had a memory. What has happened to our memories? You know, uh, you know do, do we have spiritual Alzheimer's or something? Do we have spiritual dementia? I'm not angry. But I'm asking myself, what's wrong? David says, I'll go up against him. Well, why, boy? You're a boy. All the great men of Israel are afraid of him. He says, oh, I'm not afraid of him because I remember when I was tending sheep and a lion or a bear would come into my flock, I'd go after them. That's the, those, 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 those athletes, you know. I'll go after, I'd go after that lion. Can you imagine little boy David with his club running at the bear and he's running after this bear? And can you imagine that bear looking back and saying, uh-uh, that's different. You know? And he, he said, I would go out and I would take my lamb from him and I slew that bear. And whenever a lion did it, I wasn't afraid. I went after it because that sheep was very important and I would go after that lion and, and I can see the lion now. Don't you know I'm the king of the jungle? You know? You know? Why are you chasing me? But this boy did it and he, would, he said he, he went there and he grabbed the sheep from the lion and would slay the lion. He said, this guy... He's going to be just like one of them. He wasn't being cocky and arrogant. He had faith in God. He had faith in what God had done for him. And he says, if God did it for me, then he will do it again. In every situation and trial we have, we must know that if God protected me in the past, he will do it again. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, somebody. What I try to do here at the fellowship, and I, I, I hope it's evident, I don't blow a trumpet, but my heart is to raise up men and women who can take my place at any moment. That's my, that's my, my, my purpose, my desire. And I do that because I don't know when my last day will be. I don't know when I will have preached my last sermon. I don't know. He hasn't told me that in a specific way. So I want you to be able to pick up the, 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 the challenge and go forward, any of you, without you having your own desires and plans. Those who know what God wants will do it and not those who have their own way and try to explain God's way away. That's why I do that. And I want you to know why I do that because you and I have a great task ahead of us. It's not a task of, of early retirement and sit back on a beach, and, a cozy beach, and just enjoy, you know, whatever drink you like. It's not to do that. But, but we ought to serve the Lord until our last day on the earth, and I want to fully serve him to the last moment. And I, I want to inculcate that, that value in you. In Romans, these verses I read in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, they're so amazing. 
And, and what it is, it's, to me, it's so astounding to realize that God's plan for us is from eternity to eternity, and that God oversees his plan for us. His plan, plans for us uh, are from eternity to eternity, and he oversees those plans. So Paul was convinced of that, and he wanted to drive home the truth that you and I are in the hands of God, that we are completely in God's hands, that we know that no matter what goes on, that these things are working for our good. So, so Paul then asked the question, he asked, what then shall we say to these things? Which I've, I've talked about that in brief. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so the question is, who can be against us? We have to ask ourselves, what does he mean, who can be against us? There are a lot of people against us. Demons are against us. Satan's against us. There are human agents who are against us. What does that mean? What, what it means is they may be against you, but they will not prevail against you. That's what that means. They might come, but they will not overcome you. God is sovereign, and he is for you. Therefore, no one can successfully oppose you. No one can successfully oppose you. No one can oppose you in a, a successful way. I think we all have a history. We can talk about him. We can testify. So God is, is so for you. That's what the, that means in verses 31 and 32. He's for you. And those of us who are here, I don't know many of us, I see so many from all kinds, all uh, environments, as it were, or, or neighborhoods, or uh, ethnicities, so, so many ethnicities. And every one of us can talk about the goodness of God because everybody here has come from something and has gone through something. And you are still here. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's astounding. It's marvelous. Mm. And so God is for you. He's for you. As a child growing up, I knew mom and dad were for me. I did. I, I just, that was in every fiber of my being. They were for me. My, I knew my mom would fight wild dogs, tigers, lions, bear. Didn't matter what. I knew she would fight them off me. I, I knew my mama would. I knew my dad would too, but I knew my mom was not going to wait on anything. She would dive right in. I knew she would. Are you with me? And so th that's a picture. If you didn't have a good mom or dad like that, but you need to just know that your heavenly father is like that. Amen. Jesus is like that. And so don't, don't look at the things that are going on in this world and despair. So God, Paul goes on to say that that God went to such an extent for you that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So God offered his own son as a sacrifice for sin. And he says, so in view of this supreme act of God's grace, he's saying, he said, can you trust God? He said, can't you believe that if God would do this for you, he would freely give you everything you need? And so what he's doing, he's training us. He's training us to reign with him. So let's go through whatever we're going through. And your story is not my story. My story is not your story. I used to tell my story, and I thought I could maybe, they, my story was a tearjerker. I thought I could tell you a little bit about my life. But I, was, I met some guy, a guy a number of years ago from Hebronville. Hebronville. 
And uh, this guy, I was working in an agency that would help people, and I was on the board for that agency. And this guy told his story one day, and I said, I'm never telling mine again. <laughs> because there's somebody who's had it worse off than you. But even in whatever you've experienced, God is for you. Amen. Wow. 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 So, so let me look at another question. There's so some some, some much I have to say on these things. But so Paul raised another question in verses 33 and 34. And uh, he asked the question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I mean, can you, imagine, can you imagine somebody going to God and saying, well, Lord, this is a dirty, rotten sinner, and no good, and uh, he goes to church and raises his hands, but he is just a bum, and, you know, sort of like a legal way. You know, the devil doesn't have the ability to do that anymore. I know there are some believers who think he still can go to the throne of God. I absolutely deny that and defy that reasoning, absolutely cannot go before the throne of God because Jesus, the man who died and rose again, who was resurrected, is seated there, and his blood has cleansed that place. His blood has sprinkled the mercy seat, so the devil cannot accuse you, but human beings accuse you. And so he wants to know who can bring a charge against God's elected. It's God who justifies. Who will make a formal accusation? Who will press charges against you before God? Who's going to go and press charges against you? I, I love repentance. Don't you love repentance? Yes. You, know, you know, any uh, ch uh, charges that, that human agents of the devil will bring against you, God throws them out for lack of evidence. There, there's just no way. That is lack of evidence. He said, well, what? I did the wrong. Yeah, but it's now covered by the blood of Christ because of your faith. It doesn't mean that we do wrong and feel, oh, I can do wrong because of the blood. No, no, no. That's a wicked heart. That's not. But when I do wrong, I, God, I'm so sorry I said that. And some of you are fly off the, uh, what is it, fly off the handle people. You know, you know, before, <laughs> before you can stop yourself, so to speak, you know, you, you've already responded wrongly. Do you live with anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> well, certainly not. You know? Certainly not. But you know, you may live with somebody like that. You know, they're quick-tempered. And, and, uh, but, but, but you may have some instances of that, but that's not really who you are. God is working that out of you too. And so, so the, the accusations that the enemy brings... Uh, bring against you, God will throw them out because the judge himself has declared the, 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 the accused person justified. And he didn't justify them on their behavior, for their behavior or because of their behavior. He justified them because they exercised faith in the Son of God. That's what he did. Amen. And so, also, the next question is, who is he that condemns, or who is he who will condemn you? Who will condemn you? Who will condemn you? The Bible tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. So you may have come here today, you had a bad yesterday, maybe you had a bad this morning, but this is the word of God to you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it amazing to you? Is it astounding? Is it marvelous? That you can have a new beginning when you say, God, I'm so sorry, Father. 
okay, you get a new beginning. And it doesn't mean that you go back to square one like some of us. You know, you messed up, you can get to square 15 and, uh, and you mess up with, you know, we have to go back to square one. But with God, no, I messed up at square 15. He says, baby, I forgive you. I can go on to 16, 18, 20, 30, you know? So you need to be like God. You should be like God in that regard. God is for us. God is for us. He is for you. Who is he who will condemn? So, so the scripture says Jesus is the very one that we, since Jesus is the very one that we've trusted for our salvation and he died for us, we know that nobody, nobody, nobody can relegate us to punishment, to condemnation. Amen. Nobody can do that. Let me just give you a couple of things. I won't finish, but let me give you a couple other things. The last questions are in verses 35 uh, and, and 30 through 37. Paul asks us, uh, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he asks us, now we want to know uh, who, uh, who, is, who can condemn us. We, want, we, we, we address that lightly. Who can bring a charge against us? And who is the one who condemns us? So we know that God throws that out because Jesus, our great intercessor, is on the throne. And then the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. But this last question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He said, can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. From Psalm 44, he brings that in. He said, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He says, yet in all these things, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so here, Paul talks about um, really God's love for us, not our love for God. So, so God, I said, our love may fail. Peter loved Jesus. And I know Peter loved Jesus. You may say, well, I don't know. Yeah, he, he really loved Jesus because the Bible teaches us. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 5 that, um, John chapter 14, and of course it's verified in chapter 5, that, uh, that those who love the Son will be ministered to by the Father. The Father will, will love you if you love the Son, and he will show you things. He will, he will reveal things to you when you really love Jesus. And that's why we know that, that Peter really loved Jesus as much as he was able to love Jesus. He really did, because God showed him something. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So God's love for us doesn't fail. Peter's love for Christ failed, but God's love for Peter through Jesus did not fail. And so that's what Paul is saying. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not my love for Christ, but Christ's love for me. And Christ's love for me is unfailing love. Amen. And so that's, that's how much God cares for you. God is for you. God is for you. Amen. Amen. And so then he concludes, he concludes, he says, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels. This is amazing, right? He goes through these amazing extremes. He says, I am persuaded that death nor life. Now, what does he mean? Because you and I, because we have faith in Christ, the Son of God, we are in the presence of God while we live, 
And if we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he, he says, whether you live or you die, you will be in the presence of God. He says, so I'm persuaded that, that death nor life will separate you. You have to understand what God has given to you. These are exceedingly great and precious promises. They are amazing promises. They are yours. They have nothing to do with your feelings. They have nothing to do with whether you feel like I'm telling you the truth or not. They are the truth. Amen. So, so he says here, he, he says here, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, now look at it, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul says, it doesn't matter what extreme your life takes. There's nothing in creation that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God is for you. God is for you. Amen. God is for you. Now, we're going to receive communion, but let me pray as uh, the brothers are coming down. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for, for this day, for this message today. I pray that you've con convinced some believer that you are really for them. And uh, today as we receive communion, I pray that we would join our hearts together and just and, uh, be satisfied with the work that you have already done for us, the believer. In the name of Christ, I thank you. And, I, and, and regardless of what we think about the, the things that are going on in the world, you're going to bring all of us to the same mind and the same heart about all things. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.